Hello, and welcome to another installment of the Ajam podcast. This is your host, Rustin. We have two wonderful guests today for you. We are here with Elena Darjanya, who is an architect and urban planner based in Tbilisi. Thanks for joining me, Elena. Hello. Thanks for inviting. We're also here with Otto Nemsadze. Would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm, I'm also the urban manager uh, and co-founder of Tbilisi Architecture by Neil. So today um, we will be talking about the urban development of Tbilisi and also some of the current problems facing urban planners and architects, as well as activists in the city. So let's just start. Could one of you give us a brief overview of Tbilisi for those of us who haven't been here? What are some of the major issues facing people? So Tbilisi is what I call it. It's a spectacular city because it has a lot of offer. And I think it's very rich visually with a very rich history. And uh, I think today it's in a very changing times and it's going through the different transitions. First, which is usually the best documented is a post-Soviet transition, but now there are some scholars that add also this word post-colonial and think it in a very different perspective. But I think also now we are expanding our values and trying to claim our European identity and going through this pro-Euro-Atlantic family. So I think there are three main directions that we are currently facing. So Georgia in general is actually being pulled in several different directions right now, right? You have this departure from, you know, Soviet sphere with, you know, I mean, there's an entire history of post-Soviet experience and interactions, negative interactions with, let's say, uh, with Russia. And also the advent of neoliberal urban design and planning or lack of planning, I guess. Yeah, what I usually call it, it's, uh, it isn't unplanned, although it looks like this, but it is very precisely planned transition, I think, to market economy in this wild capitalist setting. Okay, yeah, so uh, I'll be looking forward to picking your brains about this a little bit more. So yeah, in terms of just kind of getting a groundwork for us, um, can you give us a little bit of the history of uh, urban development in Tbilisi? So, you know, for the Mehele project that we were working on, I, I did read a lot of urban historians um, discussing Tbilisi as a dual city or as having basically a colonial and a, a pre-colonial part. And having this colonial experience has really shaped the way people view and interact and are able to move about the city. Can one of you explain a little bit about what this means, how it works? If you look at the history of Tbilisi, you'll see how many empires actually contributed to the construction of Tbilisi and uh, ruled from Tbilisi as the center of the region. So definitely you will see the part which would remind you some Ottoman uh, architecture, uh, more Middle Eastern city, but also then you will see the proto-European architecture built by some colonists from Germany and Poland. And this is why basically it's called this dual-faced city, because when Russian Empire occupied Georgia, they brought this neoclassicism and they basically expanded the city beyond its walled. So walled city was more historic, more organic and more oriental architecture but then everything what was built 
Beyond the World was based on these neoclassical rules of uh, strict greeds. And then we had Soviet time, which added yet another layer uh, with the Soviet planning, the dogmatism of socialist cityism. Maybe Otto, would you expand yeah, I mean, uh, on that? The whole, whole, like, the history of the Georgian, especially Tbilisi, is somehow reflected on the cities. Yeah, it's it's not common only for Tbilisi. It's like the usual thing, but you can see how this city history is reflected in the architecture and urban planning, especially if you are talking about the Soviet Soviet times, when everything was planned and executed by the government on one hand, and suddenly after the collapse there is no more one player like the government and there are different stakeholders, different private individuals, companies who have their interests. So they, they own the land after this. They they have uh, like the passion to develop their their property. So there, there are multiple players uh, who intend to make the development uh, and tend to do it with the objective to gain as much economic incentive from the development as possible. So the whole history is somehow reflected in, in Tbilisi, and you can see uh, this development in different parts of, of Tbilisi. Yeah, so the informality is also part of it. Uh, you can see how informality reflected on architecture, mainly from after the collapse of the Soviet Union, and how people started to adjust to their needs by ex- extending and expanding. So cities are, this is how they actually work. It's not very common only for Tbilisi. Yeah. Let's say this is my first time in Tbilisi, right? Tell me, as someone who's visiting the city, what? How do I actually see the history reflected in the architecture in the building? Like, where would I be if I were to see um, pre-colonial architecture? Where would I be if I wanted to see the Saris period? Like, how does it function in terms of geography? I mean, Tbilisi is built along the river, right? The the Metkari River, or the Kura, if you're, um, you know, a Russophone, but. For example, how does that affect the way the city is built? Like, um, is it built around the old city that then gradually expands outwards? How would you lay out the schemata of the city in terms of its its different historical developing periods? Well, um, that's a very interesting question. So you are right. The core of the city, the historical city, is on the right bank on the, of the Mtkvari River. And then it expanded along the river uh, upstream uh, with this colonial architecture. And then it continued to grow the, with the early Soviets, uh, again, along the river. And then this massive construction happened and we started to build our metro line, which also follows the river, but it basically connects large industrial areas in the south and two districts, one in the north, the biggest, where the Biennale took place, and then also uh, another largest district along those uh, industrial areas. So basically, if you look at Tbilisi, um, you can say that there are three different parts. One is this more intensely historical in the center. And then we have two other cities or micro cities inside the city uh, in the north and in the south. Yeah, it's it's different. Uh, yeah, it's definitely a linear city and it's caused by this riv- uh, the river that's like natural border and also the railways, which is another some kind of border. And when we talk about the three parts, we should mention the third, fourth part, in my opinion, which is like left bank of the city which is a little bit more undeveloped in a sense that there is no not not much happening at this stage like saying it very roughly so uh, i mean these natural borders one made by the nature and one made by 
uh, human-made somehow uh, disconnects the part of the city of Tbilisi from other parts of the city. Yeah. No, I mean, this is a good point because um, one of the th- questions I have as someone who studies, you know, Baku, as someone who studied Yerevan, what makes Tbilisi special? What makes it similar to other, let's say, former Soviet capitals? But does the term post-Soviet, for example, does it mean anything for us when we discuss Tbilisi? Or is there some sort of shared logic to, let's say, the way Yerevan, the way Baku, the way Tashkent was developed compared to, let's say, you know, is, or is there something uniquely Georgian about Tbilisi? Or maybe it's a bit of both. What do, what do you guys think? Yeah, I think uh, what we share with all post-Soviet cities is a starting point because uh, the largest part of Tbilisi was constructed during the Soviet. But what happened after that is it's very different from other and the difference, I think, is manifested in a structure of economy. If you see, well, Baku is oil city, and it it puts it in an absolutely different discourse. I think closer to, um, you know, Abu Dhabi, Dubai, and s- cities like that that have a very different way of development. But I think the difference with Yerevan is manifested is that Yerevan is built by the diaspora and it pretty much depends on um, money that is sent from other countries, uh, both the US, Europe, uh, Russia is huge. But I think Tbilisi is, um, the its economy is, I could argue, structured around uh, self-made this small enterprises and this is how Tbilisi is built. So we have a couple of large construction companies that provide main construction materials and probably, um, you know, like uh, the general politics. But then the construction process is done by small enterprises and skilled labor. I, I can't say that this is all informal. It is just too to separate it and segregate it. And I think this is the uh, how, we, how we could explain this unplanned situation, this do-it-yourself, that those are entrepreneurial culture, although we are not good entrepreneurs, right? I, I mean, yeah, yeah, like we are trying a lot of things that nothing works, <laughs> but yeah. So as residents of the city and as architects and urban planners, what are some of the major challenges facing Tbilisi today? Like, is there lots of automobile traffic? Is there lack of transportation infrastructure in particular neighborhoods? What would you see? Um, and I'm sure the Biennale tries to answer a lot of these questions. But uh, let's say for an average citizen, what are what are some of the complaints that people have about the urban fabric of Tbilisi? I mean, if, I, if I had to comment it in, in one word, uh, I would say that it's an environment. And the problems related to the pollution that we have in the city is actually, for me, it's like the most problematic issue at this stage, of, which is caused by the lack of transportation, which is caused by the no proper management of the waste, which is caused by the uh, very unregulated construction system. So quite a lot of things that uh, some, somehow sum up in one problem that's in environmental problem and problem related to the air pollution. So I think that... Uh, yeah, there are quite a lot of problems Tbilisi is facing. Yeah, but in a sense, it's progressing in many of them. Well, again, this is a process; it cannot be done in 
uh, in one night. There has been made a lot of mistakes when we deregulated all the things that caused uh, like economic growth, but in a very short period. And now we, we somehow see the results of, uh, of, of it and we are trying to solve them. Uh, they are difficult and I think that Elena has been working on solving these problems for quite a long. So there's quite a huge path from today till reaching the the point when we can say that the city is at least running running uh, on the right tracks. Elena, you are a great person to talk to, right? Because from what I understand, uh, you helped design the the general plan for Tbilisi. Do you care to comment on some of the, the prescriptions that you have for the government or the administrations in terms of what are ways to improve some of these issues that Otto talks about? Um, for example, what were certain things that you saw were, were major issues in um, in the development of Tbilisi? Um, yeah, basically, well, Otto is also the person because he was also kind of involved. I think there is no architect or no urban planner in the city not involved in the process, which is great because we basically involved everyone. The And n- not we, I mean the, the process. That's not the, the company that I work for. What I think is the biggest problem is the planning is that we created this as what Otto mentioned, this deregulation, the system, which isn't deregulated, but it is very robust. So bringing it back to regulation, bringing it back from, you know, touching only one land plot and deciding the problem on a uh, small scale back to the city, back to strategic level is quite challenging. I think this is what actually general plan is facing. We have a plan and we don't have mechanisms how to implement that, how to address it. And it creates a lot of informal protocols of addressing these issues. Not because we don't have formal, we do have, but the implementation process is still, uh, you know... Very political, yeah, it is definitely the very right word. So, yeah, that's it. So, informality is coming up a lot. So, I think it's a great transition to talk about the Biennale that Otto helped organize. So, for our listeners, you know, I was lucky enough to to be in Tbilisi around the same time of the first architecture Biennale in in Tbilisi's history. Uh, that's first after we again became the independents. Okay, and so the the name of the Biennale is called Buildings Are Not Enough. Otto, do you care to explain what this what this uh, term means? I love the title. I I'm mean, just, uh... Um, uh, this year we were talking about the informality, informal architecture, informal urban spaces. Uh, we were trying to understand how people are adjusting their needs to, to the architecture in urban spaces. And we're, we were talking about quite a lot about the transformation processes from Soviet to today. So uh, actually the title or the slogan that we have is quite informal. That's everything that in Biennial this year is informal, so is the title. And you can interpret it in very different ways. Yeah? So buildings are not enough. I would say that for me this... This uh, notion is uh, uh, to understand people with the, with their needs to ex- expand, with their needs to create something more, are creating creating something additional to their buildings. So their space is not enough for them. So they are creating a new space, which in some cases is, is informal, and in some cases they are 
quite formal, but at the same time informal. For example, if we're talking about the garages, this is, for me, this is the example of, the best example of formal informal, or informality, if I can call it, because somehow they are formal, they are granted by the city, city authorities the permission to do it, but when you go there and understand the space and study it, it's quite informal. So this is the process that we are trying to understand, and not only in Tbilisi, but beyond of it, in different parts of the, I can say, world, from different parts of the participants who were involved in, in the biennial. It's a quite wide topic. You know, we couldn't have covered it in, in a week or in two weeks' time. So we started to research this quite a long time ago. It's like already seven months. We have been learning and studying these issues. But, I mean, there's still quite a lot lot to do. And then you have something to add? Yeah, I think that was a great event. Thank you for organizing it. I think uh, there was... A lot of information and uh, I think the biggest achievement was exactly what you said that you went beyond the dichotomy of formal and informal and what I saw from the exhibition but I think it was pretty much addressing a type of architecture and it was pretty much centered around a room for living a room for something and it, it was pretty much modular it wasn't addressed uh, it wasn't about the buildings, I think, that exactly like buildings are not enough, but room as a living space, as a space, like lived space where things happen and maybe even entire neighborhoods and the streets could be domesticized. And this is where we see this expansion of housing practices uh, outside the, the building. So like, because you said that like, buildings are not enough. So I think there is a lot of conceptual information presented and I, there is maybe a publication about it afterwards or something that would be very interesting. Uh, yeah, I'll, in, if I can add on this, uh, yeah, we tried to understand the topic from different angles. Yeah, So we, that's why we created the different different events uh, like the exhibition the installations the film screenings the photo exhibition like the symposium when we where we start uh, tried to understand it like from the theoretical point of view that's how we tried to look at the issue yeah not not only from the side of the architect looking at it and not from the side of the urban planner but if you if you had the chance to be there, it was like from the eyes of the psychologists, from the eyes of the anthropologists, from the side of geographers, a lot of theoretical work that we we will do in the publishing next year. Just to piggyback off what Elena was saying was this issue of neighborhood. And one of the things that I really enjoyed about the Biennale is that it, it is located in a very particular place, right? You guys didn't choose the center or the old city, you chose Gledani a micro-district northeast of the city. Can you give us a little bit of history about the reasoning of choosing this micro-district? What is the history of this micro-district? And you encourage the residents of this district to participate. So can you talk a little bit about this choice? So Kthani is like a micro-district that was like typical micro-district that was built during Soviet time with one goal to build like fastly and cheaply. Uh, so to make this choice was quite easy uh, in a sense because we were talking about the informality and to make it on the Rustavelli Avenue, which is in some cases quite informal in my opinion, but we tried to be with the people who actually live in the informality and who actually create this informality. Our goal was to engage these people in the conversation. Our goal was to 
to do every every theoretical work in the area where you can feel this informality more, most and where where this is created by the people who live there. So I think that this decision was the strongest point of this year's biennial to create it where where we created it. Uh, and not having it on Rustavali, that would have made no sense, absolutely. Everything that we did, we wanted to have a context. So that's why we moved uh, the whole thing in, in Gdani. So, you know, as a, as a, an American scholar, right, I'm based in the States, like, you know, we have this idea of what post-Soviet informality looks like, right? I mean, think about the kitschy stuff that people like in the States, right? Like, oh, like balconies, right? Like covering balconies or converting balconies into additional living spaces, right? Or like bus stops or something. Like, what are some of the things that, let's say, are regarding informality or based on what the Biennale was is functioning that, let's say, would kind of be normally overlooked by people who only get this rough superficial understanding of what post-Soviet development looks like? What are some of the more interesting details that you discovered from the exhibitions in the symposium? Uh, I think my favorite thing was a presentation by Tanta Halvashi, who showed us uh, elevators. She showed us uh, elevators that run on coin machine because uh, residents are not paying for the elevators, like the fixed rent for it. So there is a coin machine, and every time you use the elevator, you have to put a coin. And this isn't particularly case for Gldani. This is like in the house where I live. It's uh, it also is like uh, in, in elite neighborhoods that you can see these coin machines, like. Yeah, I mean, the example of elevator was uh, pretty impressive. I mean, uh, to understand how people started from transformation of having the elevator and then they had, after demolition of Soviet Union, they they understood that they have to take the responsibility of the elevator. Yeah, And when they realized that they cannot take the responsibility of the elevator because, I mean, it's, it needs maintenance, they came with the idea entrepreneurship idea <laughs> of having a coin machine in it and everybody who doesn't pay the elevator doesn't stop on that elevator uh, on that floor so yeah it's it's, it's quite quite innovative i mean having this example is uh, for me it was not only about the elevators it's like how generally post-soviet culture and post-soviet people really do in a lot of things yeah no, I mean, this is a very good point. Like, we kind of laughed when we talked about entrepreneurship as a solution. And I think this goes back to the idea of neoliberalism and kind of this new privatization and social entrepreneurship kick that, like, most of my friends who live in Russia, there's kind of, like, this real champion of, like, global capital. Like, this is how we're going to transform the cities. If you can comment on kind of neoliberal development as a whole... And why maybe that's not going to be uh, the savior of Tbilisi? I don't know. This is my own bias speaking, but maybe a step from the exhibition or the symposium that explains this. Yeah, I think this is a very uh, challenging question, which uh, definitely is about what is the way beyond, right? With all these uh, fancy theories about beyond empire and this the new collective, new commons and things like that, but also the question about urbanization per se, because usually what we think is that, well, capitalism equals urbanization, but what if there is other mode of uh, 
thinking what if there is something beyond capitalism, then what equals to this beyond capitalism? So what is the spatial manifestation of it? So that's a great question. I'm doing a PhD on that question. So yeah, call me later. <laughs> Will do. Um, so I know that um, we're running short on time, so I just have two more questions. First question is, so we're talking a lot about processes. We're talking about a lot of how things are built in Tbilisi. What is the role for civic or urban activism in, in Tbilisi? This is my first question. And I love talking to architects because they like to dream. And like it's the whole point of like design. And so in your own opinions, what is your dream for Tbilisi? What, uh, how would you envision a city in which you would like to live? So the first question was about the civic participation. Uh, I think that it's uh, picking up. Uh, more and more people are trying to be involved in the decision-making. I can say clearly from the times when I was part of the municipality that we had to cancel the decisions of the even of the mayor because of the civil participation, their involvement. And I think that it's picking up and it's. I can say that it's quite strong. But sometimes it, when it crosses the borders of non, not understanding the issue and it's also, also the problem for the city. What I mean is that we still lack the education in this, in this field. This is my personal idea, uh, opinion, that we still have quite a lot to invest in the educational system related to not only to, to, to the general knowledge but also to the issues that are uh, related to the city. Well, I will address only the second question <laughs> um, I think what I wish for architects and urban planners and urban designers is to actually walk in the city more and see the city because what I see in uh, recent 20 years <laughs> of Tbilisi development it is run by people who live in the same neighborhood and go to the same school and they have pretty distorted view of other areas and thanks for Biennale to bringing those people to other parts of the city. I think this is the first and uh, what I wish, how I see Tbilisi is I hope that we will find what Tbilisi means culturally. As an urban designer I am very afraid of Dutch streets that we bring everywhere with uh, fancy cafes uh, that might not be quite a solution but also this um, informality which is uh, manifested in shawarma <laughs> shops on every corner might also be the, another point of departure so I think we are in a process and what I like about Tbilisi is this constant changes and picking up on different cultures and I think this is how I want to see it, this multi-faced city, this metropolitan. This is the true Tbilisi. It, it is never done. It is never preserved. It is, it is always in the process. And I think this is the cultural thing for us. That's, that's what, what, what I feel. Elena, Otto, uh, thank you so much for, for joining me today. It was a pleasure to have both of you. Thank you. As always, uh, we'll play out an, an outro track. Thanks for listening, everybody. And if you want to engage with us, shoot us a message on Twitter or Facebook, and we'll continue the conversation there. So until next time.
detrás de un mocrabadín que te bendiza a Lizcarabí. Uchirum chan te odi, chumat mogi paradí. Tres tu chentis la mazo, chiratarán salimón. No camquits cabrá un bogaza, pulis bralia. No camquits cabrá un bogaza, pulis bralia. Ah! 